0: Okay, we are recording. Hey, folks! Welcome back to Math Teacher Lounge.
1: Party off to a rockin' start. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you like my energy there? Hey, folks! Welcome back to Math Teacher Lounge. <laughs> it's a new season with your host Dan Meyer and
1: I'm Bethany Lockhart Johnson. How was your summer, Dan?
0: Summer felt, um, summer for me feels uh, really hectic as we prepare uh, here at Amplify for the new school year and everyone starting these these new math programs. So I've been feeling uh, quite amped up, uh, like usual in the summer, but also uh, my kids start a big kid school. So I've been seeing the educational system from Ah, uh, the role of a parent and all the anxieties, and I worry, will I be my uh, my kid's teacher's most annoying parent? <laughs> so 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 what kind of math curriculum are you using? Oh have you heard of a, a, a core counting? Uh, can I lead a, a math center? Um, what's this worksheet about? I just I'm really worried I'm, my kids are just ov- overall gonna gonna hate my vibe when I come around their classes. Uh, <laughs> so that's what's going on with
1: me. Um, it's already happening for me and I have a toddler, uh, <laughs> there
0: we go. anyway, that's what I'm up to. That's how I'm feeling. Um, I'm curious how you're doing. We haven't, we haven't chatted in a while. We're excited about the podcast, but it's been a bit, you know, <laughs> Bethany got a, a break from me and my antics over the summer. So uh, how, how are we finding you here as we, as we ramp it to the new season? Uh,
1: uh, well, let me just tell you, I have a toddler. That's kind of all I need to say, except that's not all I will say. Of course I'll say more. I. I am um, exploring, I'm dipping my toe into the extracurricular toddler activities, the music classes of okay. the toddler world, the creative movement of the toddler world. And yeah, I have lots of opinions and lots of things to say about the teachers. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to be room mom. And just like, <laughs> just, just let it rip. You have know? opinions on yeah. everything and just hope I don't get, hope I don't get kicked out of the class. It's been a eventfully recharging summer, and we are ready for this new season. And in fact, we're so ready that we decided that we were going to mix up this season yep. just a, just a tiny bit. Shall I explain, yeah. Dan? Let's do it. So we have loved all the different topics that we have explored in the math teacher lounge world but we kind of feel like we need to do some more deep dives so for this season and the foreseeable seasons we'll see how it goes let's stick with this season for this season we're going to be exploring a singular
0: theme we're not bouncing around Yep, we're not bouncing around from uh, guest to guest, going, going on whatever shiny thing in the riverbed catches our eye. We're going to take one theme and see where it goes. What are we working with here this season?
1: This season, we're going to be exploring the idea of joyful math. Joyful math. And Dan, the question I have for you is, is the term joyful math one that you use on the regular?
0: No, it definitely is not. Uh joy <laughs> I, I think that joy and math are very r- rarely, you know, connected in the popular mind. Number one and number two, you know, I'm kind of a an ornery fella, so that's not my natural um, kind of description of math. Um, but we decided that it's it feels like an important one at the moment uh, because a lot of math teaching, a lot of teaching in general, math teaching in particular, um, math teaching is often not a joyful discipline for students um, where you know, I, I've, done some, I've like done some research where you look at what people type into Google and I looked at like what they, uh, why am I bad at X? And I looked at that for where X is math, where it's science, where it's um, reading, where it's history. And it, it was just wild to see how many more hits there are out there on the internet for why am I bad at math? People don't really associate Yikes. math with joy, but also we're gonna look at um, joyful math uh, in terms of joyful math teaching. Math teaching, teaching in general, is a is a tough feel at the moment. With a lot of teachers leaving teaching, and those who remain are trying to are having a lot of soul searching and thinking about why am I here and how do I sustain this work um, in in an environment that seems hostile to my interests or my talents um, or work life balance. And so that'll be the theme that we're gonna just kind of uncover over the course of our season, talking with various interesting guests, including one today about yeah joyful math teaching and joyful math. And to help us think about what joyful math teaching looks like, we figured we'd first look at what unjoyful math teaching looks like. It happens to be the case that we've uh, we've, uh, been in a pandemic, as you might be aware, and teaching has been challenging. And the NEA, our National Education Association, surveyed its member teachers and asked them uh, the following question gave a list of issues um, that school employees have experienced and asked for each one indicate how serious of a problem this is for you. This is a survey where more than half of members said they are more likely to leave or retire sooner than planned because of the pandemic. And uh, this is almost double the numbers from July 2020. It's really hard to keep track of teacher departures and and unfilled vacancies across states so i don't want to like blow this up uh, out of proportion but it does indicate some some real challenges in teaching so bethany i was curious what do you think um the at the, like at the top of the list like what kinds of factors issues facing educators would you imagine there are
1: so if i'm to understand you correctly these are reasons someone is not actively experiencing joy in the profession of teaching like why would they leave exactly. Exactly. Mm. Well, the number one thing that came to mind for me. Well, okay, wait, wait, wait. One other caveat I need to ask about. You said specifically pandemic related, or just in general? Because if it's pandemic related, then I, I think, well, there's health issues, right? That people, sure, that sure. people are concerned about. But in, yeah, in general, the thing that came to mind was a lack of support from administration districts, lack of funding, and overcrowding in classrooms. Like, you know, I saw somebody had 40 students in their classroom. So those are the two things that I I can imagine, like, top on someone's list that would make them experience less than a joyful day.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch you're kind of identifying here. So number seven on the list is lack of respect from parents and the public, um, which is like Ooh. 76% of teachers call that out as, um, as uh, serious uh, for them. Uh, others that kind of you kind of uh, circled around in terms of resources go, like um, not enough planning or unstructured uh, time in the job kind of ties into resources. Yeah, but there's there's others that are on the list that uh, I'm, I'm curious if you want to take another swing at it, given what I've said here.
1: I feel like too much being asked of them, like being asked to wear too many hats, like they're being asked yeah, to not yeah. only teach their class, but also... Cover all the vacancies and supervise recess, and you know, make a delicious, nutritious lunch. That's what came to my am. am I close?
0: Yeah, number four on the list: unfilled job op- openings leading to more work for remaining staff. People covering, um, you know, not just the, the kind of the, the external to teaching work like you're describing, um, but also just taking on like losing your prep period um, to take on a class that has been unfilled for all kinds yeah. of different reasons. Um, mm. Yeah
1: wait, I'm only, I've only gotten the fourth. I, I, give me one clue. One clue well, about.
0: So, so, I mean, like, so, so number one is, it, number one is general stress from the coronavirus pandemic, you know, which I, I feel like. I we just, mentioned we just that. give you that yeah, one. The health. As a, as yeah, a yeah, layup. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yep. yep sure. Yep. And then uh, number two close behind is feeling burned out, which I think ties into what you're describing as well. I'm, g- I'm giving Bethany credit on that one. Um, the third one is very different from the ones you've been describing. I think, I think, I think I cannot in good faith give you even <laughs> partial credit for this one. I'll just say it. It's um, student.
1: Dan, this okay. is okay. not how okay. you give clues.
0: Here's a clue: It's (laughs) student absences due to COVID nineteen. Just really hard to deal with student absences. That wasn't a
1: clue that you told me.
0: Yeah, let's see. I think I think that's largely it. There's also pay is too low is on the list. Student behavioral issues on the list. And uh, I think that about covers it. So that's, that all of that that basket of items has led to more than half of teachers in this survey um, saying that they are more likely to leave or retire from education sooner than planned. And I don't know. I think we all know teachers who have have bailed.
1: I've never played a board game with you, Dan. But if we ever play a board game, I I I just you're we're gonna work on your clue giving because I want to yeah. g- keep guessing, and you just told me. Yeah. Yeah. In all seriousness, (laughs) in all seriousness, I think, yes, the stress of the pandemic and students being absent, what some folks are calling unfinished learning, all of those pieces do play into it. But a lot of those things that you're mentioning on the list are things that are not unique to the pandemic right? Yeah. Like, those yep. are things yeah. that I feel like there is some modicum of control that we could have over shifting the way the culture of the teaching profession is going so that we could create a more joyful experience for educators, administrators, and students.
0: Yeah, good call-out. That's exactly right. We could, we could tax the people who are not in the classrooms more and increase the pay to, uh, to <laughs> classroom teachers, you know? There we go. Oh, bingo. We, why didn't we ask uh, you
1: sooner, Dan, for your your, yeah, your wisdom? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm... Solved by Dan. Um, Yeah, good point, though. Um, So I just I read that. And yeah, I think that there's been some people have critiqued the NEA for being very alarmist about teacher departures as the year has ramped up. It has not been um, quite the, the, the flood of departing teachers as was predicted. And thank heavens for that. But that. That, that should we should still be very bummed if teachers are unhappy and wanting to leave and feel like they can't leave that is um, definitely not good so we were really excited to bring uh, to the table someone who has a, is, a, is it just a very joyful teacher and one in a very intentional way um, once someone who has um, a lot of, of discipline and how she approaches the job and the students in it and tries to create a joyful environment environment for herself, Kanchen Kant. Um Khanshan is a math and computer science teacher at Newton North High School in Newton, Massachusetts. Um, she's been sharing her love for math and with her students uh, for the past four years, and while also being instrumental in setting the culture and ethos of the math department at her school and her role as the assistant department head. But we just want to welcome you on the show, Conchin, to help us understand uh, joy in math teaching. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here.
1: Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: One of my friends, her son was asked as his first math homework assignment to write out his math bio. And I loved that idea because we got to hear a little bit about your bio from like a broader perspective. But if we were to ask about your math bio, I will speak for myself to say like automatically certain images flash into my mind, right? To think about my relationship, my evolving relationship with math. But I'm so curious if I was to ask you, what's your math bio? How did you become the person mathematically speaking that you are today? Would you mind sharing a bit about that?
2: Of course, I would love to. So I was born and raised in India and I belong to a family which considers mathematics to be extremely important to succeed in life. My father used to have me add and subtract license plates since I was four years old when we were out and about. I loved math in school. It just made like complete sense to me. It was logical and, you know, it was my favorite subject. I loved it all through high school. I hit a confidence speed breaker in undergrad when in my second semester, I almost failed the engineering math course that I took. That was the first time math felt like too much and not like my best friend, which it was supposed to be. Uh, so it was a while before I could summon the courage to take on another math course in college. But once I did that, it was like old times. I realized I had to persevere through the challenging bits. And once I did that, I, it started to make sense again. And through my journey as an educator, speaking to people from various backgrounds and like coming to the United States, I realized that math is challenging for everyone at one time or another. For some people, that is elementary school, and for some others, it is college or even later. Either way does not mean that you are not a math person. When I was in college, I felt I was not a math person. Whereas my sister, my very own sister, said the same thing about math in middle school. Both of us use math every day, and we're definitely, definitely math people. So for me to be a math person is to persevere, to approach problem solving in a logical manner, and to find the joy in the process as well as the answer.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, I feel like it's, a lot of people have a moment where they feel like almost betrayed by a, uh, what, they, what they thought was a close friend of theirs um, with math. Where it's like, wait, I thought we were, I thought we were tight. You know, I thought we were cool, you and me, and. Uh, there's that that moment. And I wonder if that's been a useful moment for you to, you know, bring back now and then as a teacher with students who might feel that even, you know, in, in high school or in a secondary school as a kid.
2: Absolutely. Like when I talk to students and tell them, yes, I had difficulty in math too. It has not always been easy for me. And there are still things I struggle with sometimes. Then it's like more modeling for them that you have to persevere you should persevere and once you do that it makes sense and you can feel successful so i almost every year i end up sharing the story with my students
1: there's so much value in that right that you are sharing that vulnerability with students and to say your relationship with mathematics has not been you know smooth sailing the whole way through there were times when you had to work harder than others
0: yeah really fun to hear about you and your your father as well i i tried to ask my five-year-old to do some skip counting the other day like okay cool you're hot stuff you can count you know up by ones but what about by twos and it just the moment really fell flat and i I watched myself becoming the kind of parent who is whose enthusiasm for math is one day resented by uh his (laughs) children I just, I I feel a lot of, yeah, I've felt your anxiety, Kanchan, with uh, math itself, and now I feel anxiety is like a, a someone who loves math and loves to teach math and may one day alienate the people closest to him. Um,
2: <laughs> I don't like my yeah. future. I have a three month old. I do not like this future of mine. If I have yeah. to go through what you're going through, oh. oh. <laughs>
0: You got this. So, Kanjian, uh, you're going back to the classroom, coming up here at the time of this recording. It's uh, a, a few weeks out, and we're thinking about like the, the kind of ways that, um, that math teachers sustain a disposition that is joyful. Um, how, are, how are you feeling right now as far as going back to class after this summer? Are you feeling excited, anxious, some combo? Tell us about it.
2: Um, I would say combo, but more excited than anxious. Uh, I was on maternity leave, as I mentioned, before the school year ended. So, and I miss the students dearly. Like my students are what gives me hope in the darkest times. They are thoughtful, they're empathetic, they're so, so eager to learn. And very soon in my into my teaching career, I realized that if I take the time to get to know my students and make them feel safe and seen in my class, teaching them math would be so much easier and so much more fun so i'm a little worried about this being like fourth year into the pandemic but let's see last year i felt the students were finding it difficult to interact with and work with their classmates because they had not been doing it for so long Mm. so i'm hoping this year would go a little better and i'm really looking forward to working with them and building community and see how it goes
0: so if I'm understanding you correctly, you, you are feeling very well recharged here. You had basically an extended summer with this maternity leave, basically just like a lot of rest and relaxation over the <laughs> last like several months. Um, if I get you here. Um, so anyway, um, glad, I'm glad for that for you. And, uh, yeah, I also hear you, um, on, um, the, yeah, the, the difficulties of teaching post-pandemic or mid-pandemic. Anyway, thanks for sharing that.
1: What I love is I hear you being so intentional, like thinking about those relationships and thinking about that community that you want to build. You know, At, how do you how do you hope that you're going to cultivate joy in your teaching this year? I mean, like, are there certain routines or disciplines that you that you specifically call forth, or that you think other teachers should think about?
2: So. At the start of every school year, I dedicate like about three to four weeks to set up the classroom culture, both social and academic. Um, I call my classroom our learning community. Uh, We start with community circles. We do icebreaker activities, group building and all those kinds of things. But most importantly, we do a lot of collective problem solving. So I try to present students with problems which can be solved using multiple strategies and have multiple entry points. Basically, our low floor, high ceiling problems. These could be stretch problems uh, that they have seen before, like concepts that they already know, or logical puzzles, or just wrapping their heads around different problems. Uh, Then I have students share their strategies. The more strategies they have on the board, the more successful I think the problem was. Um, Every year, inevitably, students come up with strategies that I've never, ever seen before for the same problems that I do. And so I have students come up to the board, they would share their strategies. If they're not ready for that, they would walk me through their strategies and I will write their name on the board with different colored markers and everything, basically to give them choice and agency. It also shows them that the process of doing the problem is so much more important than just getting the right answer and that it is okay to make mistakes in our learning community. I use a lot of vertical whiteboards Some concepts and problems align so well with the vertical surfaces, especially when students can explore together, learn from each other. So I do a lot of that. As for routines, I would say um, consistency is the key. I consistently reinforce that I want to hear multiple strategies, that it is okay to make mistakes. I am willing to learn from you as much as you're willing to learn from me. So all like that consistency in culture, more than the routines, is I feel important to bring that joy.
0: That's super interesting. Thanks for that. So I've heard, I hear two common objections or two two common concerns to using um, rich tasks or doing problem solving. I think I heard like answers to those two common reservations within what you described there, but I wonder if we can kind of bring it to the surface. And so one of the reservations is around the time that those problems take. And another is that teachers often feel like, well, I might, I might be surprised, you know, I might not know what to do with what a student does. And I thought I was hearing like some very interesting answers to both of those kinds of reservations from you. But would you just would you surface those up if you, if you have some?
2: So in terms of time, I feel if I spend the time at the beginning of the year, setting up that community and doing those problems, it makes learning the math and learning the concepts much more faster throughout the rest of the year. And even when I am trying, like even throughout the year, if we are doing a warm up problem, as I call it, which has multiple strategies, that's gonna clarify so many more concepts when we talk about those five, 10 strategies of doing the same problem than going through multiple problems to clarify those concepts. So for me, it actually saves time instead of uh, taking more time.
0: Mm. That's super interesting. It's an investment I'm hearing uh, from you that, yeah, you, you might not be hitting the curriculum quite as hard early on. Uh, but that all of a sudden you're in this in this in the spring and it's like, oh, wow, we've been moving so much faster through territory that has been uh, more challenging. Exactly. What would you yeah. what would you say uh, to, to um, you know, comfort, concerned educators or, or to address the concern that I don't know um, what I'll do with with these five, 10 different strategies? You say I, I always see strategies that I've never anticipated. Like it's a good thing, you know, like you're happy about that. I think it's a, a very intimidating thing for lots of educators. What would you say to that?
2: Um, I think like, uh, for me, it's, it's a good kind of discomfort. Uh, that means like a student is teaching me something, which is actually doing two things. One, modeling for them that I'm willing to learn and that I don't know everything. And two, also telling them that they are mathematicians. They know what they're doing. They're not just receivers of math. They're actually creating it. So for me, that is very, very important.
1: I love that so much. When you think about your students. And you're about to start this new school year. How do you hope your students will experience math in your classroom?
2: So I hope my students can see the beauty and joy of math. They can see that math um, is a way to see the world and not as something we have to do to get through school. So my hope for my classroom is that we can learn to problem solve and persevere through problems and learn from each other. And not just get through the curriculum, because like I think math is a wonderful way to learn these skills, which are so important when you get out of high school. Most importantly, I just want to see, uh, make sure that my students see themselves as mathematicians. And like one of the things that like I have to share with you, Dan, because like my one of my highlights for the year has to be the Desmos art project. I do it nice. every year for the past three years, I think, since I've started teaching sophomores, and I do it as a unit assessment for functions. And my students yes. design something that is meaningful to them using all the different kinds of functions and colors and shading and everything that you can think of in Desmos. Thank you so much for that, though. It is such a cool way for me to see them do that. Like, I have seen such amazing creations. One of my students once made a scaled working model of a solar system wherein the planets were rotating at relative speed. The Saturn had rings and there were like asteroids and everything in there. Wow. It was beautifully wow. done. Then there was another one who did a very, very detailed whale scenery, Her reasoning. I want to be a marine biologist and I want to study whales. So this is what is meaningful to me. So like that one project is just a culmination of everything that I want students to see in math and in my classroom. And like I do more of those kinds of things, but that is one thing that it's one of the highlights of my year.
0: That's awesome. I love hearing that. Yeah, shout out to the team at Desmos Studio for both build, building and continuing to develop a, a tool that's so good for, for art and animation even, in addition to some mathematics um, with a more computational kind. Um, Yeah, that's really exciting. I wanted to like what's interesting to me is that you teach high school. And I I think that like students at that age have a very well-defined sense of what math is and who they are as mathematicians. And then along along you come, you know, and like offer this really interesting disruption, you know, in their in their sophomore year of school, of high school. That like oh uh, this is gonna be totally different this relationship who i am um that's that's uh just really exciting i imagine it's a a very surprising year i would imagine that first month i would imagine is a very surprising month for a lot of uh your sophomores
2: yeah it is i mean that's why i take that time to build that community because then that sets the tone and the relationship that we're gonna have for the rest of the year students get to know how to work with each other they get to know each other that whole piece um is like super important because of that
0: yeah, that's awesome. Um, so here's the thing: like we're 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 exploring these ideas about joyful math teaching and what it will take to cultivate, restore, uh, reclaim joy in math teaching this next year. And you've offered us these really interesting ideas, uh, some some very you know philosophical and some technical about how you spend time um, in ways that lead to joy in the spring for you and your students. Love that. We don't want to, as hosts of this, as as, as researchers, investigators of this joyful math teaching idea, um, we don't want to. Let's say it's all up to teachers to change their mindset, to do different technical practices, and that will lead to joy. We also wanna be really attentive to the sur- the environment that surrounds you, the, the people who are around to support you, um, the policymakers, makers, the, the social structures that influence your joy in very significant ways. So what we would love to know from you is how do, how are you um, supported by the greater educational community in, in keeping your joy in your work? I'm thinking especially about administrators, you know, front office staff, parents even, Um, can you, can you name a few ways for, for those sorts of people who listen to this podcast, um, how they can cultivate a math teacher's joy this coming year?
2: I would say trust. I think more than anything, educators, administrators, parents, the greater educational community, uh, to trust them, to be professionals and experts in what they do. That does not mean that we don't want to learn, that we don't want feedback, that we don't want to get better. It just means that we keep the well being of our students as our top priority, and we would like to be trusted to do just that. Also, just keeping in mind that whether we like it or not, we are still adjusting to the new normal while recovering from the worst of the pandemic times. A lot of us are recovering from trauma, a lot of our students are recovering from trauma, and we need time and space for our social and emotional well being.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious, Kanchan. you've done a lot of uh, uh, work in your area with your grading team and in thinking about equitable and bias resistant instruction. I'm curious how, uh, how you see those efforts lining up with uh, creating joyful math learning conditions for all students, not just students from a, a dominant culture of math doing, let's say.
2: For me creating an equitable environment in a classroom is most important because once you have that that's when you have the relationships that's when you have the culture that's when all students actually thrive uh, so to that end our school and our department has been doing a lot of work around grading practices we uh, actually assess how we grade students, where the bias is, what we can do to make them more bias resistant, should we move to mastery-based grading? Like that's something I've been experimenting with for the past two years. Through the pandemic, I started doing mastery-based grading so that my students can get more opportunities to show that they have learned the content. And so like just little things which help bridge the opportunity gap, I would say. Another project that our school undertakes is called the Calculus Project wherein we have students, uh, as Black, Latinx, and low-income families sign up for that, and are recommended for that, and then we do summer classes and year-long support to preview the material for next year, not as a remedial class, but to actually set students up for success in AP classes for the coming years. So we have the community build-up, we have the courses, we have like math support. It's, it's a very beautiful thing, actually, and I've been working with uh, that program for four years now. Uh, so yeah, so those are my ways of creating more equity in our school.
1: That's so beautiful. And I deeply, deeply wish you had been my high school math teacher. And I have to say that the theme that I kind of keep hearing is this intentionality, how you are so intentional about your work, not just with what your students are learning, but how they are learning it, how they are engaging with the subject and how they are building their own relationship. You talked a little bit about your relationship over the years with mathematics, but how are your students building that relationship? And so I'm just very appreciative of you sharing that with us and with our listeners. And we are so excited to have learned a little bit about, like I feel like I got a little mini peek into your classroom. Thank you. And can I can I say that if you are listening to this prior to – October at NCTM Los Angeles, you will get to hear Cuncheon Kant speak at Shadowcon. Can I give that? Can I give that away, Dan? Is that? Is that? You
0: can drop that. Yeah. Can it, I drop it? It's pretty top secret. Can I but, drop uh, it? Yeah. Do it. Dan yeah. and I
1: will be in the audience cheering you on. Um, it's been a yes. joy to learn with and from you, and we are so excited to just, you know, kind of keep marinating on some of these ideas about how we can continue to be intentional about creating joyful math spaces for our students. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so
2: much, for the fear. It was a real pleasure.
0: So, Bethany, I loved hearing Kunchen talk about like uh, both her just her joyful personality, but how she cultivates joy through craft and technique, through um, you know through the the various ways she interacts with students in intentional ways that those make the job more joyful for her. And I thought it was really interesting to hear um, her talk about how autonomy is the thing that she needs most in her job environment to feel like she can be joyful in her work. In that context, I saw. Something on Twitter popped up for me in my, you know, my many Twitter wanderings. This is a this is a segment we might call um, Dan fi- Finds Something on Twitter and Shares It with Bethany, um, which we'll, we'll, we'll tighten that up a little bit. But I'm, I'm sending this over to you right now. And I'd love to know as you check this out what you're seeing and what you're thinking. And we'll chat about how it relates to uh, our interview here in a moment.
1: All right. I, I'm ready. Send it over. It's opening. So this appears to be a document by the way outlining maybe it's a district maybe it's administration they're outlining expectation type and expectation guidelines hmm okay so the X and these are lesson plan expectations expectation type timeliness plans are due no later than 6 p.m. Friday prior to the week of instruction comprehensive all activities for the week for all subjects taught should be included and complete by due date and time. Plans should have at minimum the following, see template for detail. Okay, so then it goes through the things that the plans need to have, the topic, title, target, the objective, the activities, the sequence, the display, Mm -hmm. agendas to be displayed, backward design. Okay, so basically, (laughs) We were just talking about uh, overwhelm. And when I see this Mm. document, listeners, have you ever received something from your administrator or anyone? Let's, Let's take it more broadly. That is requesting something of you that would take so much time to complete and be so out of touch with your lived reality that... It really genuinely sucks the joy out of the experience. So the first thing that I see by this document, and again, the goal of whichever district's plan this is, is that these expectations will lead. Now, mind you, Mm. I am a fan of like, you know, looking ahead. I'm not a like, oh, hey, what am I going to teach in five minutes? No, but... The idea that then it lays out all of the things in such detail that you're going to be teaching feels like one of those those pacing guides where, oh, move on to the next page, whether or not your students have any sort of sense-making whatsoever. So my first thought is, oh, sad. I have to stay here. I'll be there past 6 p.m., but I'm going to be there trying to make the plans for the next week based on what I think think my students have learned Mm, it sounds like a little bit of a bummer dan what did you think when you saw this and did i do a fair description of what it is or
0: no it's it's a tough one to describe because it's basically a wall of text and uh commands from from an administrator who like i just have to imagine has just like acres and acres of teachers trying to trying to beat down their door to teach at this school if this is how you're going to Treat your teachers. I mean, just, yeah, the idea of having a week's, I'm with you. You don't want to just like just jump in, see to your pants. But the idea of having a full week of lessons for every section you teach, every prep you teach, planned and submitted with a, every minute basically morseled out to different different goals. It says down here, you got to like, for all of these, download a CSV of, of your of grades and whatnot and attach those um it's the sort of thing like you said if you there's there's some there are some edicts that you get from administration where you just have to laugh or just like you have definitely missed like what i am willing to do here it's so far beyond yeah i can't imagine it and it just felt like uh yeah this is a great way to get teachers like uh to feel very like a a real (laughs) lack of autonomy like it's this would not work i don't think
1: and it's not even like willing to do. Like, let's say you're even willing to produce it. One, I'm not. I an- I'm not. I- <laughs> okay, let's say that me, the rule follower, is will is like okay. Go. I'm going to attempt to meet these demands. One, I- I- most teachers were just you know they probably would put baloney down there anyway. Not saying that I would, but I'm saying like they're just. It's clearly just a hoop that they're they're having to jump through. And two yeah, compliance, right, yeah, compliance, control. compliance, there you go, uh, and two, yeah, it feels like it's about control and not trusting the teacher, and I love that Kunchin said that trust is what she needs, right? You're hiring me, yeah, yes, I still have lots to learn, but you're trusting me and you're creating an environment where I can continue to learn from and with my students, and if I was being asked to submit this tome every Friday before 6 that is predicting what does it say anticipating the steps necessary for student mastery you know I kind of feel like maybe it's like that one or two teachers where maybe they feel like oh I don't trust that teacher or that teacher isn't doing a good job whatever we better do this for all of the teachers but then Mm. it's not going to change the practices of that one teacher and all the other teachers are going to be resentful
0: Like, if there was, like, feedback that came back to you on, you know, on lesson plans or there was something that was very constructive or productive, like, maybe that would be different. But it it really just feels like these are going to go into a digital drawer somewhere and not be be looked at
1: at all. Yes, the digital drawer. Like, I'm going to send you this report and then nothing is going to happen with it except that four hours of my time – well, you wouldn't do it, but (laughs) – (laughs)
0: You've, you've worn me down. You've worn me down. I'm now, I'm now putty in your hands and uh, more compliant for the next thing. And I also just want to shout out the administrator today who I emailed asking about like a teacher participating in a project. And this this administrator said, I have a standing policy not to email teachers over summer break, which, you know, there's oh. administrators out there just, just doing, the, doing the good work, you know, trusting teachers, watching out for them, trying to be a force multiplier for teachers, making the, making the road wider, the way easier for teachers. So shout out to y'all doing the work out there. Really appreciate that.
1: Okay, wait, wait. About that email thing, quick question. Did you ch- ever check your email over the summer?
0: Uh, yeah, that's one way in which I was the, you know, I I just, I just love email, you know? Oh, someone wanted to reach out. Oh, oh, Banana Republic (laughs) wants to tell me about, about new clothes that are on (laughs) offer. I mean, like, it's just, I love those personal emails. So yeah, I, I do. I did check my email
1: over the summer. Somebody emailed me recently and they emailed me at like two in the morning. And because I currently have a toddler, I received the email at four in the morning because, you know, the best thing to help myself fall back asleep is to hop on my, my phone, right? Like I'm already up trying to get my toddler back to sleep. I might as well start scrolling. Anyway, so the person had this little thing at the bottom of their email and it said, I have it, something to the effect of, I have really like wonky work hours. I may be sending this outside of the like more standard nine to five, yeah. but please don't feel yeah. pressure in any way to respond outside of your time. Do you, would you appreciate that seeing that or does it make you feel like you should respond? Because I almost responded at four in the morning and maybe that it's, says something it's about telling
0: you not to respond. I yeah, know it
1: was helpful. It says,
0: it says don't, but you're, like, <laughs> but you're like, but you're like, uh, what if, what if they're saying that because they really expect <laughs> no! me to respond? And this is one of many ways that you and I are different. I, I'm ha- always happy to see that.
1: Do you respond? I, I've texted you in the evening because I, you know, I have some wonky hours. Do you respond to things like? Do you have a set like? Where's your boundary there? Or well, when you were in the classroom, where was your boundary there? Did parents have your phone number?
0: No, I gave kids my cell phone number for a couple of years, and it was was a, a wobbly uh, experiment. Um, but parents will get an email email you know back and forth with you, and I think the best thing to like I I love just like adding some friction, some latency into the kind of the, the chain, you know, like I, I, I hate going like back and forth, like da 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 da, da and then like respond, and then da da, da 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 respond, and it just like goes back and forth. So just like just sitting back for an hour, two hours, you know, not responding, just let someone cool down, <laughs> calm down. Email, email just gets you more email. That's like if you send an email, you are just making it more like I had to get, get more email. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a problem.
1: Are you one of the zero people?
0: My inbox is at zero most days. You're before joking. I, uh, I get down I, I end work every day with inbox at, uh, at zero. You're that's, um, joking. That's just, you know,
1: Who are you?
0: You know, you should take my life. You should take my, uh, my, you should get my, per- my life coaching, Bethany. I give you a discount since we're uh we're math teacher lunch pals, but, um, yeah, I, 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 I can help.
1: Thank you for, um, for, for qualifying where our, where our paldom, where our paldom lives. I won't even tell you how many are in my inbox point is if you are actively starting the school year we celebrate you and we are here and over the next few months we're going to be diving into joyful math in all that definition is going to keep evolving but i want to say something that is making me feel a little joyful dan you ready tell me you and i in person at nctm the national council for teachers of mathematics yes yes it's coming up and we are going to be recording math teacher lounge live 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 in person and i hear there's gonna be like a t-shirt cannon and there's gonna be you know like musicians marching through the the aisles or something a marching band a marching band trained
0: animals (laughs) yeah
1: but the point is i'm so excited dan and you know when i see you I might just, I don't know. I'm just, I just, it's been so long since I've seen you, Dan. I, I, I'd i love to give you a big old embrace. You might
0: just, you might just cry. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be great. Ooh, yeah. It's going to okay. be, be—you're it, it's going to be awesome for you folks to see me and me and Bethany have a, a real <laughs> awkward first hug since the pandemic and, uh, but it's going to be a, a blast to hang with us in person. We'll have, uh, some special guests probably, uh, some uh, uh some interesting segments it's, you know, you should folks should uh, stop on by uh at nctm if you're going to be there highly recommended
1: not we will be broadcasting that episode you're going to get to hear we're, we're going to record it live it's going to happen in the meantime you can find us at mtl show on twitter or you can find us in our facebook group math teacher lounge we can't wait to hear from you and we'd love to hear what, what makes math Joyful for you. Where can we add a little bit more joy to you this, this season? So thrilled to be back. Thanks for listening.